After opening this letter, the letter to second, uh, this letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, with a focus on affliction, suffering, um, encouragement, and comfort, Paul now transitions to the issues at hand. Namely, he's going to get to why he's writing the letter to the Corinthians. He already wrote 1 Corinthians. Technically, this is his fourth letter to the Corinthians. And so he's already written to them extensively. Why is he writing this one? Well, next week, we're going to actually begin to really unpack a lot of the drama uh, that was happening between Paul and the Corinthian church. What I'll say at this point is the relationship is a little bit rocky. The relationship has always been a little bit rocky, but it's on the rocks here. And there are some in the church at Corinth that are actively working against Paul. They're questioning his integrity. They're questioning his intentions. And so others then in the church are wondering about Paul's character. It's vital that we understand this point though. Paul doesn't rise to the challenge simply to defend his own character and integrity. What, what Paul rises to defend is the gospel message because what Paul views and views correctly is that as goes his character, so goes the gospel message. They're so intertwined for the apostle Paul. This was what was happening in Galatians if you were here for that study. Paul was defending himself and in defending himself, he's defending the message of Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected. And so Paul rises to the challenge to defend himself uh, but before we, we begin to talk about his explanations and some of the, the reasoning that there's the upset between them, he, he gives a brief defense of himself in verses 12, 13, and 14. So we're getting through three verses today, a whopping three verses today, where he says this, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us, as we will boast of you. Father, help us now. Spirit, we pray that you would work in us as you bring your word to bear in our hearts today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever heard the song? It's, a, it's in hymn, They'll Know That We Are Christians By Our Love. Uh, we are one in the Spirit. It's got an interesting cadence to it. Uh, we, we haven't sang that here in quite a long time, but when we used to sing it years ago, uh, one of my friends, a good friend of Medivue, was on staff here. His name was Ty Davison. He, he, he did not like part of one of the verses of that. And I want to read to you the part. Every time we sang that song, he's like, why do we sing that verse? And, and here's the part that he didn't like. We will work with each other, we will work side by side, and we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. Ty hated that last phrase, we'll save each man's pride. Because in our view, pride is a pretty bad thing. Being prideful is not something we're called to be. As a matter of fact, pride is the thing that messed this whole creation up. Uh, Adam and Eve wanting to be like God's pride's what messes up our days when we exalt ourselves above God on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I understood Ty's point, but I also tried to explain to him 
that pride isn't always a negative thing. And in that song, the author probably intends that we're guarding each other's integrity. That's the idea that the author is getting at. But I bring that up because Paul was typically an anti-boasting, an anti-pride kind of guy. If you read the first letter of the Corinthians, he's busting them on their boasting on several pages of the letter. Trying to, you don't boast, you don't boast in those things. Well, they had a boasting problem and he addresses that. And so that's why this opening line of verse 14 uh, is so shocking. What does he start with? For our boast, our, our pride is this. Paul's about to boast, and, and I believe he, he uses that word intentionally to shock them. So they'll be like, wait a second, you told us not to boast, and now you're boasting. But just like the author of the hymn, by pride, we have to consider exactly what Paul means by boasting and by being proud. What is he boasting in? Notice what he says next. He says, our boast is in the testimony of our conscience. I'm boasting in the testimony of my conscience. So Paul calls his own conscience to the witness stand to testify about what's going on. That may seem self-serving, but notice what his conscience is giving witness to. That we behaved in the world with simplicity. Godly sincerity. It wasn't earthly wisdom, but it was by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. So let's, let's break that down a little bit. Paul claims that his conscience is clean as he considers his ministry to the Corinthians. The ways that he's ministered to them and encouraged them in the past, the way that he's ministering, encouraging in the present, he says, my conscience is clean in what I've done. And he uses two words to describe his own behavior, simplicity and then godly sorrow, or godly sincerity. First of all, simplicity. What does he mean by that? means a pure heart. Simplicity means a single heart. His motives were simple, simplicity, because they were singular in focus. It wasn't complex. It was something simple. He was 100% engaged for their benefit and for the glory of Christ. He wasn't 50% doing it for them and 50% doing it for him. He wasn't 60 for them, 40 for him. He was 100% according to his own conscience, engaged in the ministry for their benefit. And then he says it was with godly sincerity. It's also carries idea of pure. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no mixture in this. In the ancient world, this was a word that could be used of gold that had been refined. There's no, there's no mixture of impurities in this. It it's, uh, has integrity about it. But it also carries the idea of transparency. That, that there's openness. There's no hidden or mysterious agenda. Jump down with me, chapter two, verse 17. If you're right there, shouldn't be too far down. Chapter two, verse 17, Paul uses this word sincerity again in an interesting context. He says, for we are not like so many, many peddlers. Well, you think, of the, you think of the snake oil salesman coming through town. We're not like those peddlers of God's word but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Paul says we boast, we call our own conscience to the witness stand that our behavior in our ministry and in our lives has been a ministry and life of integrity. 
There's no hidden meaning behind it. And left there, we could, we could possibly conclude, Paul may be getting close to a line here, being a little arrogant, right? A little bit braggy about how much integrity he has. But notice the next phrase that he tacks on. Not by earthly or fleshly wisdom, but by what? The grace of God. He doesn't claim that he is the source of the integrity. <laughs> he acknowledges and he points the Corinthians' attention to where the source is, where the integrity comes from. It comes from the grace of God. It's God at work in my life and through my life. He, he closes 1 Corinthians with this amazing verse, by the grace of God, I am what I am. We understand Paul gets that it's not him. He's not bragging in himself. He's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in Christ who is working in him and through him. Oh, that's over there. Sorry. I thought it was behind me. There's the phone. So I was like, did I leave my phone back behind there somewhere? Or who hit a phone? He is boasting in those things. The grace of God. This statement also contrasts the wisdom of man. You see that in there. He says, this isn't according to the flesh. This is no doubt a jab towards those in the church of Corinth, those false teachers, those who are leading others astray, who are, who are leading them astray. They're, they're giving Paul a bad name. They're winning people to their team out of ill motive. They want more power. They want more money. They're peddlers of God's word. And then in his final word of verse 12, he says that you Corinthians... Above all people, you should join my conscience on the witness stand. Uh, he, he says that, that the work that has been done in your church should be supremely evident towards you, of all people. Paul spent 18 months in the town with them. Paul has written four letters <laughs> that we know of to this church. Uh, Paul has sent Timothy. Paul has sent Titus. He's probably sent other ambassadors to go and to care for this church. And so he's invested in them mightily. They, above all people, should know of his integrity and of his intentions. It's been plain to them. And because Paul knows how the sinful mind works, he actually highlights one specific area of his ministry to the Corinthians. His letters. Notice verse 13. This is a great verse. He says, for we're, we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand and I hope you will fully understand and then he spills over into 14 just as you did partially understand. Here Paul makes a simple claim. If my ministry has been one of integrity, a part of my ministry are the letters that I've written to you. A big part of the ministry of Paul are the letters that he's written that we receive by inspiration and preservation work of the Holy Spirit. And so he says those are sincere, those are pure as well. The false teachers inside the church were, were calling into question Paul's writings. They were reading into, they were twisting what Paul was saying to their own advantage and to Paul's disadvantage. It might have sounded something like, well, you, got, you know what Paul means by that, right? There's an undercurrent, there's an undertone here that I understand, but you may not understand. 
And they were giving Paul a bad name. And Paul assures them in this verse, my writings include no subtext. My writings don't have a hidden agenda or motives. They're meant to be received as they are written with simplicity. That They're plain. It's on the nose. Everything's in the up and up. And it's sadly a little bit reassuring uh, for me that Paul's words were being twisted back in the first century. Because as we examine our own culture, uh, this is pervasive. The, the twisting of words, the manipulation of what goes on around us. We live in that edited clip culture where you can take anything somebody says and cut it down to, to, to mean and focus on what you, you want them to say and make them look bad. You, you can judge people's motives online, whether it's Facebook or social media. Well, I know what you mean by that. We pick pick people's tweets and speeches and comments apart, reconstruct them so that we can think the worst of them in the end. And I'll tell you what, I, I've got a lot of pet peeves. Well, I don't have a lot of pet peeves, but this is, this is one of the biggest ones right now in my life. I just get so sick of this. I get so sick of this spirit of divisiveness where we, we edit and we, we paste and we think the worst of anybody around us. Uh, yet we see it most vividly in politics, right? And both sides are so guilty of this, but we see it in everyday life as well. This is not the spirit of Christ. This is what they're trying to do to, to flip and distort the gospel on Paul, and people still do it today. Hmm. Also don't want us to miss that verse 13 is a great statement regarding the integrity and the inspiration of Scripture. Verse 13 is a, is a great statement regarding the nature of Scripture, that it's a straightforward book. To be sure, there are, there are depths and there are layers that you will find in this book, but it can also be taken at face value. You, you can read it and you can follow the narrative and the story and you can find your way to the Savior. God desired to reveal himself to us and so he reveals himself to us in a book and so he doesn't shroud that in layer upon layer of figurative stuff. He, he reveals who he is. That's the intent. And so we can trust the integrity of the scriptures. That's what Paul hopes the Corinthians will fully understand because he knows that if you begin to trust my integrity and you, you trust the integrity of the words that I'm writing and the message that I've shared with you, then you will ultimately begin to trust the integrity of Jesus Christ himself. And man, oh man, that'll change your life. Your life will be filled with joy and grace and goodness and purpose and all of the good things if you can completely know it. Paul has such a heart for them. I have the same heart for you. I want you to completely know and experience the joy. I want to know it myself. I want to know completely as Paul is encouraging them to know. And then he goes on in verse 14. So that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you'll boast of us as we boast of you. Paul sees a day when the Corinthians will boast. They'll be proud of him. Right now, he's a little beat up by them. But he sees a day coming where they'll be proud of him as, as he says, I'm, I'm proud of you. I, I boast in you. 
And again, the, the boasting here, the pride here is not in the accomplishments and the accolades of Paul or the accomplishments and the accolades of the Corinthians themselves, but it's in the work of Jesus that is accomplished in both of them and through both of them by the same spirit, by the same message that they have in common. That's his focus. And it's with a hopeful eye looking forward to eternity. Again, remember, we should always have one eye on eternity fixed on what's coming. Paul, Paul looks to the return of Jesus as a day when that will happen. The day of the Lord. I, I don't know if Paul was ever completely restored. We don't really have the end of that story. Were the Corinthians, did they, did they come to terms with each other? Did this letter work? Did his next visit work? But I do know that on the day of the Lord, that will be fully realized. We still await the return of Jesus and, and what a sight it may be on that day. Think about it with me. We see Paul and maybe we see some first, Corinthian, first century Corinthians and they're hugging on each other and they're weeping over each other as they worship King Jesus. The day of complete and final restoration. And after this week and many of the challenges that have presented themselves in my life and no doubt in your own life, I can echo the Apostle John, even so come Lord Jesus, let's restore finally what sin continues to disrupt and break. Let's think through these verses for a moment, just for our own personal benefit, for our own personal application. Number one thing I want us to get is this. Integrity is important for all of us. It is necessary for those who are in and live of the gospel, as Paul is one of those individuals. And that's why Paul would write to both Titus and Timothy, your integrity is of importance. Those who are elders, those who are pastors, you must have integrity. It's why James warns in James 3.1 that, that teachers will be held a great, to greater account because their integrity matters. I came across this quote that's just been weighing on me this week by an author named Hughes, and he says, we need preachers whose sermons are like thunder because their lives are like lightning. Oh, it's been a heavy one on me. We just installed, by God's grace, two elders last week, and they and I must soberly consider this passage, this integrity, along with the many others that we see throughout the Bible. And I can say integrity is necessary for leaders, but, but in its own way, it is necessary for any follower of Jesus. We must be people of integrity. How we live speaks volumes to what we say we believe. There, there can't be a distinction between that. Even more so when we invite others to believe what we believe if our lives don't match and there's no integrity. Why would they want what we have? I hope you get that because here, here's the point I want to make since this is our Heart of Discipleship series. Discipleship hinges on integrity. 
The discipler has to have integrity as they disciple someone and bring them closer to Christ. So, so let, me, let me narrow in a little bit here. This means we have to live with sincerity. This is the word that he uses, this, this purity, this transparency. What I'm not saying here is live perfectly. We're not called to live perfectly because we cannot live perfectly until the day of the Lord, his return. And here's what happens. Oftentimes we hear, I need to live perfectly. Integrity means I am a perfect individual. And so what we do is we, we, we create a duplicitous life. And so we, we try to look perfect in front of a lot of people. And when we see impurity or unholiness present itself in our lives, we just tuck it away and we hide it from everybody. And before you know it, we've got two completely different lives. I, I, can, I can see this in story after story testimony that I've, I've heard and read about pastors and their own experiences. And now in front of people, they had to be the holy man but in the background, they had a whole hidden life. What we're being called to here with sincerity is to be open. What these preserved words call us to is not perfection, but transparency, honesty, confession, humility. Because otherwise, we will be whitewashed sepulchers with dead men's bones on the inside. And our own Savior condemns it. A person of integrity is a person who isn't perfect, but they admit their imperfection. They confess it. They fall upon Jesus time and time again and find in him forgiveness and hope and joy. Restoration. That's a person of integrity. That's a person of sincerity. Ahead of you, we've got to strive to be those kind of people. Second thing I want to mention I mentioned it earlier, the integrity of scriptures is important. And I tell you what, I, I feel the weight of this every time I open up the book to study and prepare a sermon or a lesson to teach God's word. Because it is easy as, as those false teachers in Corinth are illustrating to manipulate people with God's word. And as we could look through the history of, of the church um, and the history of Christianity and see that many people have opened God's word and used it to manipulate others to their own advantage. Oh, I've probably done it. I'm sure I have because here's the thing. Fear is a much easier motivator, much quicker and more efficient motivator than grace. But every time we cross that line, we're not doing the gospel justice. We're not reflecting the nature of our God. And so we have to be careful as we handle this incredible word that God has given to us and as we present it in the lives of other people. Paul tells Timothy this way, um, rightly divide the word. Take care with the word. Cut it straight. Give the intention that is meant. And if you'll just take a step back with me to, to what we talked about earlier. I, you can trust this book. You can trust that there's no hidden message. You don't have to count the, the number of words in a verse and then do some algorithm to calculate and say, oh, that's really what God means. No, he, he wrote to us what he means. It's clear. Well, what I love about it is that 
It's translated into most languages in the world and it's clear to those people in their language who our God is and who they are and who Jesus is and what He's accomplished. And it's still part of it 3,500 years old, 2,000 years old. God has done us an incredible blessing in inspiring and preserving His truth for us. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. It doesn't hurt to know it. It can take you into a little bit of a deeper level. But you can open it up right now and begin to read and begin to know and understand the nature of our God. Mm, what a gift. One more point. I love Paul's heart for the Corinthians here. There's a lot of places we can go and I think there's a lot more that will come in this letter where we, we really get a picture of Paul's, Paul's heart. He, he is proud of them because he loves them. He loves these people. I love my kids. I'm proud of them. I'm proud for the things they accomplish. I think most parents would, would recognize that and we, we love to do that. And it's not because they're perfect, but it's because we love them. And we want to boast in them. Paul is proud of the Corinthians in the same way. Not perfect, not at all, but he still boasts them. While, while some in the church are actively working against him, he still loves. He still expresses his love towards them. We're going to see that even in the next chapter where he expresses his love to those who are actively working against him. That's that's just the spirit of Christ, isn't it? That's Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's what we're called to. We're called to love one another that way. Whether we want to or not, that same spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, that spirit resides in you and longs to love the people that don't love you. Because in doing so, what does it do? It points back to Jesus. It points to the motive and the source of all of those good things. You may not like the person who is, is sitting across the aisle from you. I don't believe we have those issues here. But they may be at some point in the future. But you better believe that you will love them on the day of the Lord. And so you might as well start now. You might as well begin to let the Spirit work in your life now. That may require you to forgive. In most cases it will. This will require you to forgive as you've been forgiven. It may require you to invest in them, to serve them, to find practical ways to show love to them. Some of you may be harboring bitterness and you're, you're letting it grow and you're letting it fester. You gotta kill it like Paul. You gotta kill it like Jesus and you gotta make the first move. You move in grace and you move in mercy and you move in forgiveness and you begin restoring what sin is broken. But there's another point I really like about this. One of the things I took away is boasting in one another is good. It's right. 
It's a good thing for us to do, to boast in others where we see Christ at work in their lives. We should regularly share words of encouragement to one another. Gratitude for one another. And as I was preparing this, I, I just, I knew it would be this moment right here where I'm looking out at a lot of people. And we could do some serious boasting from, from my perspective and how I've seen Christ work in, in this, this body corporately in individuals. I, I just, I think of um, particularly uh, we, we prayed and we mentioned last week that we were hosting a pastor's meeting here on Monday. I'm so thankful for those who came and those who served musically, uh, those who served the food and helped to put all that together. It was a tremendous blessing to about 40 pastors to be encouraged. I heard from many, many people, thank you, thank you, thank your people uh, for being willing to host that. And we had a work day yesterday and there were, there were few of us here. Man, those people worked their tails off. And we got so many things done around here. And so I'm, I'm thankful for them. I, was, I listed names out because I thought, I'm just going to say their name. Bruce Miracle, Nathan Miracle, Dustin Alcorn, Jason Maston. Jason, Jason was uh, first to arrive on the scene when I overflowed the baptistry this week as well. And uh, helped to get that cleaned up. The Van Gordon family, they cleaned this room from, from ceiling fans all the way to the floor. Got all the pews, Murphy oil soaked up and cleaned them nice. James Weeder, he had fun on his tractor all day, I'm pretty sure. Where are you at, James? James was out there just in heaven, digging up dirt and moving it to another place. My family was here, Chuck and Tina. And I, I list those names... Go around and tell them thank you. This isn't my property. This is our, our property. This is our building. We need to thank those who, who invest that time. Do that work. A few weeks ago, I was, I was in my office, and it was before one, and I was just getting a few things ready, and I look out the window, and I see the Bart family, Brian, Stacy, and Grayson, and they're carrying pots and plants, and they, they put new pots and plants in the front. I didn't ask them to do that. I don't think anybody in here asked them to do that. But they notice what I notice. Those are dead plants. And they just recognize, hey, let's, let's do something about that. I love that stuff. Another family that, that I, I love is the Crater family. These, this family has had so many people over to their house. I, I've been one of them. They're opening their doors for fellowship. They're opening their doors. They're, they're feeding people. I learned a new card game. I cheated for the, like three-fourths of it before I found out that I was cheating. Uh, I, I still didn't win. But I love it. I love their willingness to just embrace people, get to know people, and invest in their lives. This week, one, one of our new elders, Chuck, he was called to enter a situation um, that would be what we would just simply call hell on earth. Wasn't connected specifically to our church, but it was connected broadly to some of the ruck and run and some of the things that were going on. And so Chuck entered into the world of some people that were, they'd been through hell and back as much as you could go on earth. And he was there to share Christ with them. He was there to clean up stuff that we would never want to clean up and involve himself in things. And, and I'm grateful. 
I'm grateful for his willingness. As I reflected on that that night, I'm like, that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus came and entered this messed up, horrible, hell-filled world to show grace and mercy so that he could redeem. And we're called to do that. Jason Maston, he's downstairs discipling some kids right now, but this guy's been discipling all sorts of people. He's meeting with all sorts of groups of people and having them over to the house, meeting people here. And, and what, what I rejoice in in that is if you've known Jason for the last couple years, he's been very open and confessional to say, I struggle with giving people my time. Well, by God's grace, he's given people his time. And he's doing some serious work in helping people to come closer to Christ. This weekend was an incredible experience uh, for our ladies that were able to participate and attend on Wednesday. Um, I, I, I rejoice in Heather and, and her vision a few months ago of let's, let's get something going and then bringing so many of you other ladies in to, to put together uh, just an incredible event on Friday night that was, I believe, just a great encouragement to so many. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll put Mitzi on the spot a little bit. Mitzi texted me that night and she just said, isn't it wonderful that I have 40 women that I could call on at any point that will pray for me if I'm burdened? Man, that is wonderful. I boast in those who are willing to do those things. What we're saying when we boast in somebody is I see Christ at work in you. And I tell you, there's nothing better you could say to somebody. The Spirit of God is using you in the lives of others. You can turn to people on Sundays. Say, I'm amazed, I'm grateful for, I've heard this one before, Dave and Amy, how well your kids behave up here. You got a lot of kids. I hope people have told you that because they've told me that. They're just, they, they say, it's amazing. Thanking Brenda McConnell, Lisa Brenneman, for working in our kids' classes downstairs. Looking on the schedule and you see, oh, so-and-so cleaned the building this weekend. I just want to say thank you to them for taking care of cleaning those things. That's what we're talking about, boasting in one another, encouragement. We need to do that. I need to be better at that. Sharing what we're grateful for, where we see Christ at work in others. That's what Paul's wanting to do. That's what he's going to do throughout the rest of this letter. He wants to boast in the Corinthians. He wants them to know that he sees Christ at work in their life. And as I look around this room, I see Christ at work in your life and in the life of this church. And let's rejoice in that. I'm gonna ask you now, if you would just bow your head with me. As we do at the, the conclusion of every service, we're gonna give you an opportunity to pray. I wanna give you an opportunity to to just reflect on this. Maybe it's the integrity point. Um, maybe it's the boasting point where, where you need to be more purposeful in encouraging others and stepping into their lives. Maybe you're a person who's neglected the word of God because you've been scared. It's a big book. There's some big words in there. Read it. Trust it. Open it. Enjoy it. Obey it. Whatever may be the case, this is your opportunity now to just pray, to ask God, ask the Spirit to work in your life, help you to grow, help you to change.
give you some time. Mm-hmm.